Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Mira Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 36 of the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, and thanks for listening. I want to give a shout out to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast community for your passion and engagement, sharing ideas, and also I'm grateful for the pharmacists, student pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians caring for our patients during the pandemic and working on vaccine administration. Thank you. Well, now on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Sandra Leal. Sandra and I are going to be discussing many things, including her passion to eliminate barriers to care and to improve access and outcomes for patients. Sandra Leal is Executive Vice President for Tabula Rasta Healthcare and is serving as the 166th President for the American Pharmacists Association, APHA. She has led efforts on both local and national levels to integrate pharmacy, public health, and advocacy to improve the healthcare system and to reduce health inequity. Sandra is the past chair and current member of the National Center for Farmworker Health. She also serves on the American Diabetes Association, Diabetes' primary group, to highlight the impact that pharmacists can have on improving the care for people with diabetes. I can't wait to learn more. Well, Sandra, thanks so much for being here with me today. Um, as we get started, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your family, and your pharmacy experience at University of Colorado. Well, thank you, Melissa, for having me on today. I am so happy to be with you, and it's an incredible group of women that you've interviewed in the past, so it's just amazing to be uh, interviewed with you today. So a little bit about my background is that I grew up in Nogales, Arizona, which is right on the uh, Mexican-American border, and I, I grew up there. My family is from Mexico, from Sonora, so it's the northernmost state of Mexico. Um, so we ended up moving there because I was actually born in California. My father uh, left Mexico. He was a farm worker in California for a while and really did a lot of things to try to provide opportunities for myself and my my siblings. And so right around the time I was about six years old, we left California to move closer to family. And so that's why we ended up uh, in Nogales. And so that was really close to my grandparents and a lot of the family that still uh, resides in that area today. So my background, my history, a lot of the work um, that I do and what drives me has been the experience of growing up in the border region, which really is very challenged with a lot of the issues uh, around health disparities, social determinants of health, language barriers, access to care issues. And so it just really allowed for me to think about that growing up and figure out ways to overcome some of those things that I was experiencing myself. Uh, but then also the community that I was living with and working with. And so, you know, why I became a pharmacist was because when we were young, when we were seeking care, uh, my parents didn't speak English. And so we would walk into Mexico, literally walk into Mexico, and we would go to the pharmacist uh, and the pharmacy. And that was our primary care. We would go and ask questions. We could speak in the language. Um, so my experience was that the pharmacist was the primary care provider. And uh, my parents would go to Mexico because we didn't have access to a lot of Spanish speaking providers in the community that I grew up with. Um, and even still to this day, it's it's hard to find and recruit people to like rural communities or 
you know, outlying communities that, that speak the language of the population that's being served. So I wanted to do that. And then I specifically have a passion for and have always been involved in diabetes care because a lot of my, my dad's site specifically had a very aggressive type 2 diabetes in Mexico and in Nogales, in fact. And patients there didn't have access to a lot of the tools or the medications or even the information or knowledge about how to manage it effectively. So, you know, I, I remember very clearly growing up and going to like my, my father's aunt's house and sitting in a conversation in a couch and, and his, his aunt was having pain in her leg. She had her leg wrapped and then looking at her leg and she had an ulcer. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what in the world is going on? And so she had uncontrolled diabetes and she didn't even associate that this situation was as a result of that. Um, so it was just really incredible to me the the challenges people were facing with without having access or information about what they could actually do to manage those conditions. So I very quickly knew that this was the area I wanted to focus in and try to help my community. So one of my first jobs was at a federally qualified health center at Mariposa Health Center when I was a high school student. Uh, I was a community health worker, a teen, teen promotora or a teen healthcare promoter. And they actually gave me my first scholarship to become a healthcare provider. And so the rest is history. A uh, great investment, I think. Um, wow, yeah. It was great. So that's a little bit about my background, where I started and sort of what drew me into pharmacy and diabetes. Well, I just love that. And I, I really love the example about your family and, you know, walking into Mexico and seeing pharmacists at that time as a primary care provider. You know, I think that experience has served you well and has been such a thread through your career. And it's really important, I think, for people to understand that there are challenges with access, especially in rural areas and language barriers and, and that the, how much those can contribute to health disparities and that, you know, we need to continue to work on those. And, you know, I want to share that I'm so pleased that you and I connected through the APHA pharmacy family. And I remember meeting you a few years ago when you were um, on the board and running for office and things like that and thinking to myself, oh, I need to get to know you better. And then we share, a, we both mentor Lupe Chavez and she brought you to University of Iowa to speak at the Toastmasters meeting a couple of years ago. And I was so excited that you were coming and, you know, to come hear you. And, you know, it is just amazing how we can have all these interconnections. And then, you know, you work at Tabula Rasa with Cal and Ursula, who I've known for many years. So it's, I'm thrilled that you're here and, you know, we're going to continue our discussion today and our conversation. You know, one of the things that I've talked with people about, especially where we are right now in 2021 is if you were going to look back and maybe put together a time capsule from your time during COVID, your time at home, what would be in there? And what were some of the things that you did or didn't do with your family? So I just, I mean, this is incredible. You know, one of the things that was concerning to me about running for president during this time was that my daughter was going to be a junior senior if I were to be elected. So lots of ifs. Right. Yeah. But I thought, you know, I'd have to think about that because I, I only have one daughter and I definitely didn't want to miss any of her key moments in her life. And I had a discussion with my family and they were very supportive. They were like, no, do it. You know, you don't know if opportunities come again like this. And so I was concerned, but then, you know, other presidents have told me, you will never know what's going to happen during your presidency. You're going to get a wrench thrown in it. And what you think is going to happen is not going to happen. And sure enough, that actually was very truthful because this pandemic happened. And what's shocking to me is that the years that I thought I was going to be the most busiest, traveling the most, actually ended up to be exactly the opposite of that. I, I think I've only had in the last year and a half, 
two trips, which has been incredible because I spent the most concentrated time uh, with my family since uh, since she was a little baby. So that was actually wonderful. Um, that was one of the things that I will always appreciate and find the silver lining in such a terrible situation. One other thing that occurred is that my daughter actually developed type 1 diabetes, which is so ironic, in February, her 16th birthday, like a week before she turned 16, and, you know, about a month before we really got into this pandemic. So to be able to spend time with her, help her to understand diabetes, to be able to get her set up with her insulin pump and sensor and and have her have confidence in being able to manage that. And then us dealing with it emotionally, it's such a huge hit on uh, emotions of any person dealing with a chronic condition, but we were all able to essentially grieve together, heal together, learn together, and then just figure out what that new normal is. And again, it just reinforces the work that I do and and even doubled down. I was already very invested in this, you know, in managing diabetes, but just dealing with the barriers that come with a very complex care system. And, And I say that because, you know, she has type one diabetes and just to access simple things, refills, prior authorizations, get you know equipment, deal with very expensive, high deductible healthcare plans, try to schedule appointments, all of that. With every, now I feel I have all of the knowledge and information access. I have the finances, I have a car, I have language. And even with all of that, it's so hard. So I can't even imagine how difficult it is for anybody who has anything less than that. And so I put myself in people's shoes all the time because I know that I'm very, we are very lucky, but so many people don't have that luxury. And so it makes me want to work even harder to figure out how to break through those uh, those gaps in care and try to figure out better solutions. You know, all of the things that we went through in this past year and a half, and, and it just, you know, I feel lucky that I spent the time with her, but then still thinking a lot about all those people that didn't have the the luxury to do the same things. Yeah, no, I know. I think it's a definitely a bittersweet time when you look at it. I, you know, I appreciate though that you shared that sometimes things come up unexpectedly. And I think the insights that former APHA president shared with you about, you never know, related to how your year is going to play out. And, you know, you really saw that. But I think for, for many, the opportunity to not travel and to slow down and to just be was really something. And I, I, I'm really happy for you and your family that you were able to spend that time with Soli and get your arms around what the new normal would be and um, navigating the diabetes in her condition and what that looked like and, and moving forward. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. And I think there's just so many key lessons that we can learn from where we have been and then where we're at moving forward. Well, one of the things that you and I were able to do, which I was really psyched about is earlier this year, we worked together on the 2021 virtual University of Iowa College of Pharmacy Zeta Cooper Leadership Symposium. You served as a keynote speaker. So during that time, pharmacy historian and women in pharmacy leader, Dr. Metalou Henderson, she provided introductory remarks um, before your presentation. So tell me more about your relationship with Metalou. So Metalou is incredible. I have the luxury of living with uh, Metalou here in Tucson, Arizona. So I uh, became connected with her and have had just the opportunity to have lunches with her a lot more pre-pandemic, but just recently post-pandemic, we had our first lunch together again. And she has been incredible to sit with and learn from and really understand the history of pharmacy, women in pharmacy, just because she has so much knowledge and just personal experience and so much contribution to the profession. So I remember when I was running for the board of trustees, she actually, her and I were um, on the same flight together from Tucson 
to APHA. And so we, we even connected at the airport and sat there and she said, you know, meet me. We're going to, I'm going to introduce you to people. And so she took this great effort in making sure that I knew the women uh, in pharmacy leaders at APHA during the time that I was running. So we went to the APHA foundation event. She introduced me to people that she knew that I hadn't personally met. Like I had heard about a lot of these individuals, but, but she sort of, I felt like she sort of gave me a great endorsement and yeah. just really showed me around and, and talked a lot about just the, the incredible efforts that women in pharmacy have contributed to the profession. So I just feel so lucky that uh, she's done that. I feel like she's a great mentor and I just take every opportunity that I have to meet with her and take it as a gift uh, because she's just such an incredible person and still, still so active here locally with a college of pharmacy with the U of A and still making introductions for me that just I, I find to be incredible. So I hope I could be like her and, you know, do the same kinds of things for others, mentor others, open up doors for others, uh, just because she's just an incredible person that, that I admire so much. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I had the privilege of having Metalou on the podcast last year for Women Pharmacist Day for our episode 17. And you know, I just learned so much, like you said, about the history. And I remember her talking about, you know, Zeta Cooper and Gloria, and she worked closely with Gloria and they were good friends. But, you know, Zeta was kind of from a before time and she brought her to life in a way that you're, we, I felt like, you know, she would have been sitting at a table with us having coffee. And I really appreciate too, the mentoring that she provides and, you know, the encouragement of women supporting women. So I'm so happy that you're able to get together with her, that she's down the road so that you can have lunch together. And I do look forward to when we're going to be able to be in person and, you know, gather together again. So I think that's super, super fun. Well, and I just wanted to say that the, the Zeta Cooper experience was a wonderful, not only was she part of the program, but so was Lupe, which we talked about earlier. So it was such an incredible opportunity to, you know, bring all these worlds together and, and have that discussion. So it was such a neat opportunity. Oh, well, thank you. You know, I think that really is the spirit of Zeta Cooper of connections and being inclusive and bringing people together and then thinking about you know, where are we today and where do we want to go in the future and how can we be innovative? And you're clearly doing that. So, you know, we'll dig a little deeper in our conversation today. You know, as we got started this morning, you talked about your parents and I've heard you describe your immigrant parents, Anna and Gabrielle, that they set the foundation for your achievements. And, you know, you've mentioned their drive, their persistence and their hard work. And also during the Zeta Cooper symposium in your remarks, you noted that they impacted your focus in healthcare and pharmacy and, you know, caring for patients. So let's dig a little deeper on that one. Tell me more. Yeah, my parents are just, I don't know, they're just incredible people. And unfortunately, my father passed away way, way too young. He was 58 when he, when he died suddenly. And I remember even at the time thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this work. And I missed it. You know, I missed my father, uh, my father's condition. He died of sudden cardiac death. And it really threw me for a tailspin when I was working at El Rio at the time. And I thought, I was like, how can I continue? And, and I think about that just because of so much of his sacrifice to, to come to the United States. Um, him and my mom worked so hard when we were growing up and, you know, neither of them had the opportunity to, to really pursue higher education. My mom finished elementary school and that was, there was no middle school or high school in her little town in Mexico. My father went on and did a little bit more schooling in a slightly larger community, but my gosh, I always think what they could have been or what they could have done had they had the opportunity to do further education because they were 
so smart. My father was brilliant and he accomplished so much in what I think is a short life, but I think he accomplished more than he ever thought he would. And he had three children, myself and my two brothers all went to universities. We graduated, we got degrees, all of these things. And so I know that they are just incredibly proud. Uh, My mom is still around. She's amazing. She's like, would give you the shirt off her back. And she's such an incredible person. And that's basically how they raised us. They raised us to to figure out how we could help, how we can think about opportunities for others. Like they gave us opportunities and the sacrifice was very real to me. I just remember my father working two jobs when I was growing up, my mom working a full-time job and then coming home and working another full-time job. And then just always putting us first and making sure that we had all our needs met. And I don't remember struggling for anything. I know we were exceptionally loved. I know they were very scared when we did decide, like specifically me decided to go to college. I was the only girl. They didn't really, they were happy. I went to high school. They didn't think I was going to go to college or that I was going to go out of state for sure, but they were supportive and they always would just do things to help us. And and I, this is a story that I always think about my dad, which is just an example of how incredibly supportive he was. I remember when I was growing up, I was doing a science fair project and it was a solar stove. I was doing a solar stove for my science fair project and I needed these mirrors. And uh, he had no idea what I was working on. He had no idea, but he asked me, well, what do you need? And so I needed these specific cuts in these mirrors so I could put them in this design that I had. And he took me to Mexico. He went to a glass shop. He had them cut to the specification. And then I built my science project with it. And then I won a prize for it. And, oh, and so cool. it just... Yeah, that's the kind of stuff to me that he knew how important it was and how much value there was in what I was trying to do. And he took the time, went out of his way, found a glass smith to come and help, you know, create the the things that I needed. And those are the little things that I remember about how incredible the support was that I had and that he invested in doing for us. And, And the other lesson, he was very golden rule kind of guy. He was like, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then also... I think another big lesson was just like, you know, if you can't help somebody, just don't do anything to hurt them, right? Just try to really just be a good person and do the best that you can with what you can and help others as you can, but never do anything that that would hurt somebody in any way or that would take advantage of anybody in any way. So those are the lessons that still resonate with me. That's exactly how my mom is today. And that's uh, exactly what I'm trying to teach my daughter solely. So I tell her the story about the solar experiment, because I, I find myself doing the same things for her, trying to do the same things for her as my my parents did for me. And so that's just the foundation of how I grew up and, you know, how I think about things and how I want to honor their legacy, because, you know, he did die so young and, and he did so much. I just want to make sure people really understand the story of immigrants, what they come and do and contribute to this country. And there's so much like negative language around that sometimes that I just really want people to understand that people come here for opportunity and to try to contribute and not necessarily for anything else. So those are key messages. Well, I I think you shared some beautiful life lessons and I really appreciate that. And the idea of your dad at first, not being sure about what you were doing with your science fair project, but you know, he wanted to help you. And so, you know, making the trip to Mexico and getting it right. I just love that. I think that's a magical story. And, you know, now that solely you're able to share those messages and I'm sure on some of the Girl Scout or other projects that she's done over the years, whatever those are that, you, you know, like you've said that you've done the same. And I was so intrigued to see recently that you've launched a scholarship, you know, in your parents' name. And I think that's such a beautiful thing to 
continue the importance of education, especially for first gen. I'm, I'm also a first generation college graduate and we've done a scholarship. And I think to impact and touch the future is, it's just, I don't know about you, but I just think that's like one of the greatest things. Yeah, I, I, it was one of my, one of those bucket list items that you one day hope to do. I always said that my career ending, I want to be a philanthropist and give more than I definitely that I take. So that was definitely something that I was working towards. And it was because people helped me. When I went to the University of Colorado, they were exceptionally supportive, very generous. Uh, I received a Skaggs scholarship to help pay for my education. And I remember the story around why that scholarship was started was because uh, Mr. Skaggs wanted to essentially help diversity and, and have pharmacies that represented the communities where he had pharmacies. And so that really spoke to me and resonated with me and it helped me tremendously. And in fact, one day I actually, later in my career, when I was already a pharmacist working at El Rio, I printed out an article about some of the work that I was doing at El Rio. And I wrote a thank you letter to the Skaggs family and sent the article to them and just thank them so much for their contribution to my education. And I actually received a, a response back and this is before Mr. Skaggs passed away. And I was just so happy that I had the opportunity to thank him and the family for what they did. And I just hope that I can, you know, do, do the same thing for somebody else because it, it meant everything to me everything to me because my parents did not have any money for college. I, you know, I basically had to figure out how to pay for it with scholarships, grants. I work three jobs during pharmacy school and, you know, and I'm going through the process right now of, of finding colleges for solely and how expensive and complicated it is for people now, for students now. Uh, so it really, I know how much a little bit of money helps go a long ways for people that are, are not as able to afford it right off the bat. And we all know the cost of education now yeah. and the expenses that students end up with. So it doesn't pass me that like, I know this is a big thing. And I just want to say, you know, it's, it's as much as this is, it's, it doesn't take a lot of effort. It, it's anybody can do a scholarship for somebody else. I always think about it in the context of how many cups of coffee that we spend money on. And if we, you know, used it in a different way, we could help people with things like scholarship, just because it, it doesn't take a lot of effort to do that. Yeah, I think your example about paying it forward and it doesn't take that much or, you know, even do what you can where you are. I remember um, when I was first out in D.C., I was back at Drake and I talked with the dean about providing money for students to go to meetings, you know, like so, and that was before right. I was able, able to do a scholarship. But, you know, there's different ways. And if you just think about what was important to you, like helping someone to travel or even, you know, say you're at a conference, take someone to lunch, buy someone a cup of coffee, like there's little things that you can do that then lead to the bigger things. And, you know, I appreciate that you also shared that you wrote the note because when I talked with Jimmy Hatton Kolpak a couple episodes ago, we also talked about reaching back and, you know, sharing impact. And I don't know about you, but I, I think writing those notes and then also receiving those notes makes such a difference because sometimes you don't know something that had was very impactful. But I also think, you know, just hearing that, Whatever it is, whether it's a scholarship or a mentoring or that it made a difference is important. So if, if you can, you know, reach out to someone and let them know. I think that's that's a cool thing. Yeah, I agree with that. I, just to, to let them know that it went a long ways makes a big difference for sure. Yeah, it does. Well, you know, as APHA president, you're championing Be the Voice, giving strength to voices. And we've talked about that um, today and advocating for change. So let's go a little deeper on this one. What do you think that looks like for APHA and also in your work life and innovation with Tabula Rasa Healthcare? So I mean, for APHA, it's really to, you know, be the voice for pharmacists and be the voice for patients too that are experiencing so many challenges. And we have pharmacists that have stepped in 
to the pandemic as an example, and, and we're dealing with people that have barriers to access and care and pharmacists are there every day doing testing, doing the vaccines, doing care management. So we absolutely want to be the voice for pharmacists so that they are recognized as part of the healthcare team and that they have sustainable practices that, that allow them to be able to do what they're trained to do. When I think about it in the context of uh, being a caregiver, it's to be the voice for those people that have so many barriers to care. And I, I mentioned that earlier, just about how complicated the healthcare system is and how we can work towards contributing to solutions that provide reach and access and resolve problems for patients that are out there, not even sometimes realizing that something's about to happen. So I'm very appreciative of the work that I've been able to do with Tabula Rasa Healthcare, uh, with Symphonia before that, with El Rio before that, and then the future and what that holds, because there's just so much work to still be done. And I say be the voice and, and really work on advocacy, because I really think about it in, in the context of how much impact I can make. And I think you know, the reason that I've transitioned in my career and even obtained a public health degree is I've, I've practiced directly with patients and seen these barriers that present every single day to patients that walk in the door. How can we make a systems change? And then if you make a systems change, you realize that people access multiple systems, multiple healthcare systems. So how do you actually impact multiple healthcare systems and how do you change policy and advocate for something to then address more of the population health issues that we're seeing? You know, things like simple things like walkable communities, sidewalks where they don't exist, clean water, you know, all of these public health issues uh, that you can step into, lean into and, and try to help from a public health perspective. That's what I look at. And then the other thing I think about is, you know, there's a lot of challenges with how the healthcare system is. It's, it's very fragmented. It's broken. And there's all this vertical consolidation and things that we don't like about it. If you don't like it, go there, change it, <laughs> you know, because I really feel that individuals can go into a situation and figure out solutions that start making a contribution. And so that's where I'm looking at, like, what's my next step? What am I going to do next? What's that big problem that I still see that needs to be addressed and try to take it head on? And so I think hopefully I've been very consistent in my career that I, I've seen things that I don't like and that I want to change and that I want to do something about. And instead of complaining and being complacent about it, I know that, you know, I need to do something about it. And then hopefully I can get others to join me and activate and try to change whatever that situation is that I don't like about it. And I care a lot about making sure that people get the word out. And I'm very active in social media. I see people that complain a lot and that they, you know, say, oh, you know, somebody's not doing enough or the associations aren't doing enough. I'm like, but we are the association. We're the members. We're the ones that can make that change happen. And it's so important to get out there and do it versus just sitting there and, and complaining about why somebody else isn't doing it for you. So that sort of goes into the whole, you know, you can be the voice, you can be the advocate that gets that movement started. I just love that so much, Sandra, on so many levels, because I think you reinforce the complexity and we know that for sure, but you can either complain, you know, about the complexity or that there's so many problems, or you can start, you know, begin today and do something. And, you know, I think that's probably a challenge that you issued in your remarks at the APHA meeting a few months ago about be the voice and make a difference and start and just do something. And then collectively, those somethings really add up. And I think we've really seen that this past year, year and a half with the pandemic of how many somethings that pharmacists have done to really change the world with their efforts in public health and with vaccine administration and immunizations that they had been doing for some time. And, you know, now it just was like really kind of exploded. So I like that. And that that's just such an important message. And to also to continually be thinking about what's next, you know, where you are today. And I like your forward thinking vision of, you know, what you want to do in the future. 
Well, I really believe that you're the right leader at the right time. And I'm so happy for you and excited for you, your time as APHA president. Well, you know, one of the things that you do as APHA president is you're involved with many organizations. And one of those organizations, a global organization, is FIP, the Federation of International Pharmacy. So FIP is working to strengthen and transform systems to provide more gender equity and diversity worldwide. So tell me more about, describe why investing in women matters. Well, I just think it's such an important thing to invest in women. And, you know, I've been very lucky to be able to sit in boardrooms and sit on boards. And sometimes I don't see enough representation of women and then women of color or just even people of color in general. And so to not have that representation really impacts in a negative way because we bring a different perspective. We think about things differently. And I was thinking about this. I can't even remember where I heard this analogy, but it was just a very fascinating discussion around two very smart, intelligent men thinking about solving a solution and thinking about infrastructure and the finances and all of that. And then having two women think about a situation and thinking about things like childcare and issues that still impact infrastructure that are equally as important. But when you don't have that representation of women in that conversation, things go one way versus another, just because you're not thinking about all of these other things that might be very relevant and important, but you just don't have the representation to speak out on those items that are important to you. And I just, I remember listening to that conversation thinking that's true. That happens so many times. And I've sat in conversations where I bring in things that appear to be kind of off to left field, you know, sometimes, but it's my experience. It's my situation. It's having lived in areas that are impacted in ways that others haven't been exposed to or that don't even realize our situations. And the conversation has come up a lot lately as we've talked about structural racism and, you know, people believing that that doesn't exist or it doesn't exist in pharmacy. And we do know it exists and, and maybe you haven't lived it or experienced it, but it absolutely happens to so many people. Um, so you can't discredit that. You have to actually be able to sit at the table and have those conversations and invite those people that are experiencing these situations to really listen and understand what's going on. I think that's where, when I think about how important it is to have women and have equity and have those conversations and invite a more balanced conversation, then we will have more richer results because we are having gaps right now in some of those critical, critical information aspects that that we don't have because we're missing people at that table. And I had the pleasure of being interviewed for a blog for FIP to talk about how important it is to mentor. And I definitely think that's such an important thing to do. Mentor other students, mentor young women, make sure that they have opportunities, make sure that they see you know, what they can do and accomplish because there's so much that we can do and accomplish together. Well, we'll link to your blog post. And I do remember that. And I was so pleased when I saw that you had written that for FIP. And I agree with you, you know, the importance of mentoring and then having people at the table and you know, the complexity of healthcare and thinking through social determinants of health. And like you said, bringing up some of these things about childcare, transportation, you know, access to quality food. I mean, there's so much that sometimes comes up or, you know, and I've been in situations where some of people be like, well, we don't need to worry about that. We just need to worry about X. And you and I both know that if you don't look at the system and the bigger picture and the barriers, you may have X, But if they can't get to X or there's a reason that's, you know, a roadblock in place, then X can't help them, whatever that is. And I'm super psyched too. Just in the last few weeks, um, I've been appointed to the APHA Foundation Women in Pharmacy Committee. And I look forward to that group. We have, we've had one meeting, we're going to roll up our sleeves and 
talk about some programming and engagement. And, you know, I think that's really a, a cool thing. And I want to give a shout out pretty soon in the APHA leadership roster for presidents. So you're, you're current president. And then the president-elect is Teresa from Florida. And then the president-elect designate is Valerie Prince. So we'll have three again, which that had only happened once before in the multiple, multiple hundred plus year history, right? Right. Yeah. It's exciting to see that. I'm excited to see those uh, pictures on the wall. Yes. I remember when Nancy and, uh, and Nikki and Kelly, they all took that picture. I was just like, wow, that's incredible. We were all reflecting on it as we were walking into the building and looking at that. It's like, that's the first time it's ever happened. And to be the 166th president, that's not enough. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely not enough women for sure. Yeah. Well, I think we're making progress. And I think your platform related to be the voice and inviting others at the table and, you know, the mentoring that you've done and that the other APHA female presidents have done, I think is a really cool, important thing to encourage people to take a leadership role, potentially run for office, lead a committee. And, and I know it can be intimidating. I remember mentoring or talking with a student and, you know, she didn't feel that she could do something with a, a student organization because she hadn't before. And I had to say, well, that's how we all start. You know, like at one point you have to do something and that not everyone comes to the table with experience. So I think what you've done so far is just really, really important. I just, I want to say that that is such a, it's a, so intimidating. Even today, like I remember I just did my first in-person board meeting and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the first time I'm doing it. I'm sitting there, I'm doing the Roberts rules with like this group. And then, you know, I've been like a sandwich by speakers of the house that are like yeah. parliamentarians. And I, I told them, okay, you have to give me a little grace because I've got the, the bookends here and I've not had that uh, experience. So it, it turned out great. It was it was a great experience, but uh, I can understand how intimidating that is. Well, and I, I think it's important, though, that you shared that. You know, you had the butterflies or you're intimidated and you do it anyway, because I'm appreciative of our uh, earlier guests that we've had on the Melissa Arxcris podcast. Sarah White shared some funny things and Lucinda, I mean, you know, down the road, everyone has talked about, but I think the more that we talk about it, it helps to normalize that we all can get a little scared or, you know, I'm sure recording some of your big presentations or being on a stage. I mean, I think we all have, a, most people have butterflies before they're going to do some major public speaking or things like that, but that with each time you do it, it gets a little easier. And, you know, also you had a friendly audience around you with the board where now, someone may have told you if you got out of order with Robert's rules in a kind way, but then, and then you probably would have had a good laugh about it too, right? Oh, absolutely. Everybody's so kind. I mean, that's the thing that's just amazing that everybody's super supportive. I love how pharmacy is truly my other family. And even my family has said to me so many times how much they think that that is incredible, right? That I go and I have this community, this family that we all even they, you know, they feel like they've grown up with them because everybody always asks about Soli and how my family's doing and we all grow up together. So it's truly a family. It's very supportive. Well, that's great. Well, you and I could keep going, but you know, our time together is drawing to a close. So a question that I typically ask on each podcast is, you know, while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? I thought about what I was going to say for this. And I, you know, one of the things that I really work on, and I'm a, sort of an optimist by nature, but it, it is to work on being optimistic uh, because it's something that you have to be intentional with it. You have to really try to be optimistic and it's hard. It's hard to do that sometimes, especially with certain situations. 
But, you know, I think it's really important to, to try to look at what the positive aspects are, what the silver lining is. Um, and it goes to the comment I made earlier about the pandemic and terrible situation, how we've all had incredible stress to this and trying to find out what good came of this, you know, what, what was the reason why this happened and take it in stride and try to you know, make it or turn it into something that ends up creating a better situation in the future. So that whole aspect of optimism, working on that, thinking about it, waking up and just kind of, you know, thinking about the good things that you've done or contributed to, that is something that I try to work on every day. And that ha- makes a big difference in my ability to, to cope in a lot of ways and to try to overcome some of these days that are really, really challenging. And it's not easy, but it does take effort to do that and to think about it in, in an intentional way. So that's one thing I, I wanted to mention. The other thing I just, it sort of goes along the same lines is to take risks. It's so important to to take risks, even though something is scary, even though you might perceive something to be judged in a certain way, take the risk because, you know, if you don't take the risk, you'll never know what happens. And if there's something that you want to do or some challenge that you want to take on, you know, the status quo sometimes is way worse than the unknown of what that opportunity could bring to you. So think about that, take a risk and and hopefully something good happens from that. And I've taken some incredible risks in my life. I remember when I left El Rio, you know, that was literally was like, I, I remember being called the poster child for El Rio and I decided to join the Symphonia group. And it was because I wanted to do something to impact and, and, and share the experiences we had at the local level on a more national level and really try to solve some of these access to care solutions. It was a big risk, but the reward has been tremendous. And I still think about the moments and the pro and con list that I created as I was trying to make that decision. And I sat with my family and we talked about it and it it literally was one of the biggest risks in my life, but it became one of the biggest rewards. And so I still reflect on that moment in my life. And I'm even thinking about you know, what's my next big risk and what am I going to do next? Because I still want to impact greater things. And so I, I think I still think about that every day. Yes. Be optimistic and take risks, big risks, and then, you know, look at the reward and what moves forward. So, so important. Well, I just want to say thank you, Sandra, for sharing your insights with me. You know, this has really been a special conversation and I'm grateful that we were able to connect. This is the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast. And I want to thank our listeners and encourage you to follow on social media. And I also want to say a special thank you to Kate Cruz, our podcast producer with Executive Podcast Solution, who helps me make the magic happen. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Melissa.